This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table. We discuss issues of God and culture, and our topic today is movies. Actually, I should say science fiction in particular and Star Wars even more specifically, which is an exciting uh, possibility because probably one of the more popular movies ever made, mm -hmm. certainly one of the more popular series ever made. And to discuss this, I have a systematic theologian sitting next to me, which is normally the way these things get reviewed, and uh, Michael Spiegel, who uh, is Department Chair of Systematic Theology here, and a sci-fi fan. Is that true? That's true. That's true. Okay. I take it. Okay. Yep. So um, so I guess what we need to do is, how long have you been feeling like this? I mean... I think I was born this way. Okay. Uh, yeah, as far as I can remember, I've been uh, a fan of science fiction in general, but Star Star Wars in particular, that was my entree into this. So I was born I was born in 73, Star Wars originally, the first one came out in 77, mm -hmm. and so I was just young enough for my parents to think that I was old enough to see it. You saw it at four years old? I, I saw it at five. We actually okay. went to a drive-in theater. Oh, saw wow. saw it at a drive-in theater, so okay. it was the second run, I guess, of, okay. the, of the movie. Uh, but my, you know, my interest uh, in Star Wars, my I had an older brother who was... Uh, about five, six years older than me at the time. He was a big Star Wars fan, so of course he had the toys, mm -hmm. had the records, and all of those things back then. So some of that kind of rubbed off on me. Uh, he passed away when he was 11, hmm. uh, just about a year or two later, and I inherited all of his stuff. Oh, wow. So that I think from early on I had uh, even even more than just an interest, maybe this emotional attachment to the, hmm. to the series. But then, you know, we were rewarded with a couple of sequels, mm -hmm. a couple of prequels, and then they are still making these movies. So yeah, well, uh, well, it's we, kept the fandom alive. That's interesting. So so I, I'm amazed that you could see this at four. I guess I shouldn't <laughs> be amazed that you can see this at four or five. My grandsons have responded pretty much the same way. I mean, they can practically take you through the whole movie line by line. Sure, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, uh, and and your interest in in science fiction in general is it fueled pretty much by Star Wars or no? You know, I started with Star Wars and kind of moved on. So mm -hmm. I was uh, interested in a lot of the classic sci-fi uh, as well as what's called the golden age of science fiction. People like Heinlein and Asimov and some of these names, Arthur C. Clarke, both movies and and reading. In other words, I was not a very popular kid at school. Uh huh. And. Uh, I always had geek. a book in my. I I was. I will own that title as okay. well. Yes. All right. All right. So, uh, and and was it was it both the creativity mm -hmm. of it and the futurism of it? What was the fascination? Yeah, it was the possibilities. Right. Mm -hmm. You're opening up possibilities when you're telling a true to life story. You're very restricted in place and kinds of characters and such. Even though e those are tapping into to universal themes with with Star Wars and science fiction in general. You can have the same kinds of characters, archetypes, plot movements, but they're exaggerated, right? And so you can you can put things in sharp relief. You can get away with it in the Star Wars universe with bad guys have red lightsabers, good guys have 
blue lightsabers. Mm-hmm. You know, the black and white, that kind of uh, storytelling, um, things tend to be exaggerated, but then much more uh, kept in contrast with each other. So for simple minds like mine, uh, mm-hmm. simple storytelling, it was it was fun. Plus, the, it just taps into imagination and uh, the possibilities of uh, pursuits and, and goals and, and uh, future, as well as some takes place in the past. Okay, so we move on in your life, and you become. This is a story of Michael <laughs> Star Wars, but we move on in your life, and and you become interested in theology, etc. But this didn't shed your interest in science fiction. Uh, yeah, for a while there, at the beginning in my process of discipleship, I I had a hard time figuring out how does science fiction fit. So mm-hmm. I kind of set that aside. And uh, however, as I start to see the the theology and the Bible in terms of this epic narrative, which is really what it is. It's a story. It's mm-hmm. a true story, mm-hmm. but it's a story. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It has a, has tragedy. It has redemption. And I thought, as many others do, man, all our good stories have these elements. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people, a lot of uh, theologians, philosophers, as well as um, literary experts, they're saying, look, there are some universal truths, universal themes, and universal character archetypes and things that all of our great stories tap into. Mm -hmm. Um, I call it kind of hacking the mythology. Uh, But as a believer, I believe that there is a a meta-narrative. There is a story, a true story, where God is the the author and the producer and the director and in Christ and the incarnation. He's the the star (laughs) uh, that is being told. And so you can find parallels with all great stories, all great epics, Star Wars included, you can find them with these. Now, now some people would go, now, wait a minute. I mean, <laughs> uh, uh, okay, I mean, the Bible is is history and is a true story, and Star Wars is certainly not that. Sure. So, um, so why, why think about one in relationship to the other? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, well, part of it is, look um, – Almost everybody you meet will have seen Star Wars. Star Wars is a cultural phenomenon. I mean, it is uh, – people are thinking in these terms, allusions, cultural allusions. um, It's it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. And so there are ways you can – people are already thinking about these themes. Good side, bad side, light, dark, predestination, destiny, free choice. There are all of these themes that come up. and they become points of contact, I think, in, uh, hey, you're interested in this story? Let me tell you about something else. And, mm-hmm. and entrees for the gospel and engaging uh, at the level of pop culture. I see a lot of opportunities for that. In fact, I've done that with people. Yes, I have too, yeah. where the, the storylines um, converge in mm-hmm. such a way that it leads to some basic kinds of, uh, of thinking. Well, let's turn our attention a little bit to just the theology of narrative in general. I mm-hmm. mean, you've already raised words that some people may or may not be familiar, like archetype. archetype. Yeah, archetypes, yeah. Um, le- le- how, how, do we, how should we think about narrative? And, and this would be true really whether we're talking about uh, fiction or nonfiction. There, there are ways to tell stories and ways to edit them down so they have inherent structure in them. Mm-hmm. Talk about that a little bit. That's right. And uh, so what we're used to in our culture is the basic three-act story. Um, if, if you're a, a writer who actually wants to sell books or movies, you're mm-hmm. going to follow this structure. Uh-huh. And there are certain things um, 
certain character types. So you always have a hero, you have an anti-hero or a protagonist, antagonist. You have uh, certain types of characters, the wise old sage, Obi-Wan Kenobi or mm-hmm. Gandalf or Yoda or some of these characters. They're, they're, they're almost predictable, almost formulaic. And so good storytellers know how to take these archetypes and they do creative, unexpected things with them. I really annoy my wife sometimes when we'll watch a, a movie about something. I'll say, that guy right there, he's going to die. Mm-hmm. He's going to give his life for them. He's gonna, you know, <laughs> she's like, stop doing this. Stop that. I was like, it's a formula. You yeah, know? It's yeah. A for- and so uh, uh, the best, best movies toy with the formula and do things in creative ways. But Star Wars is... Uh, a basic, you know, good guys, bad good guy, guys. bad guy, typical archetypes all lined up and doing their thing is pretty predictable. Okay, um, so let's let's turn our attention uh, to Star Wars now. I'm going to start off by mentioning something that people may or may not be aware of. Uh, rogue One. Yeah, now, this yeah. this sounds like a rogue operation. <laughs> um, what? What in the world is Rogue One, and what does it have to yeah, do with Star Wars? that's the next uh, Star Wars movie coming out. Now, when George Lucas first released uh, uh, Star Wars, what we know as Star Wars in 1977, it was uh, actually Episode Four mm-hmm. with a subtitle of A New Hope. Mm-hmm. Then Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi were Episode Five and Six. Then he went backwards mm-hmm. and did Episodes One, Two, and Three. And then now... Uh, uh, Disney and Lucasfilm, they're producing three more, seven, eight, and nine. Seven has come out. That's The Force Awakens. But what they're also doing on the off years is producing what we might call spinoffs or uh, going backwards in the timeline and focusing on sounds a certain like character. Sounds like a franchise to me. It sounds like uh, <laughs> quite a lucrative opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but Rogue One, it's going to confuse some people. It actually takes place right before... Uh, in the timeline before the very original Star Wars movie came out. So, then, uh, so it, it fits between, what, three and four? Right, correct. Okay. Yep. And so it is a story of uh, the very first battle that the Rebel Alliance wins when they steal Death Star plans. Oh, okay. So and that's, that's the this, story. And that and that is going to be out when? That's uh, December 16th, 2016. Oh, you know exactly. Do you know it's my what wife's hour? birthday? What it's my hour? wife's birthday. Oh, okay. Oh. It's going to be a tough decision. Okay. I think I, I, I think, think I know, you know what I'm, where I'm going to take her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so oh, well. So that's the next one coming out and then they're rolling them out pretty much every year I see. Uh, from this point on. Interesting. Uh, so, so let's, In other words, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, there is a lot to talk culture. about. So, so we've, got, we've got the Star Wars movie that, that, and the sequence. Why, why do you think – I have my ideas on this – why do you think this particular sequence or series mm-hmm. has struck such a nerve? Part of it is the uh, – well – Anything's cool with a lightsaber in it. Mm-hmm. You have to admit, right? You can take a <laughs> bad Star Wars movie, exactly, old, right? exactly. Yeah. You know, and then it awakens the five-year-old and all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, any kid who's seen Star Wars is picking up any straight object and you know swinging it like a lightsaber. So uh, there's that. There's just the obvious action adventure. It's a spectacle, and it t- you know tickles the senses. But also, there's something there. There is mm-hmm. this good and evil. There are these themes that are being tapped into. Books have been written expounding on them from psychological, philosophical, and theological perspectives. So even though you can you can be a five-year-old like I was and just see the surface-level lights and sounds and the score, the music, but then you can also think about it more deeply. Mm-hmm. And uh, you realize there's a lot of, lot of stuff going on here that to think about and to talk about, and it, and it 
tugs at you at an emotional level as well. Okay, but I think the fact would be that someone could look at that stuff and go, well, yeah, and other people would go, eh, I don't mm-hmm. think so. Right, um, and, so, that's, and that's been done. There have been different Christian approaches to, uh, to Star Wars. So, the, so there are Christian approaches to Star Wars. Yeah, there uh, have been. There have been. Yep, and, still are. And? Yeah, would you like me to yeah, tell sure, you Yeah, sure, go for it. Okay. Um, I actually brought a couple of exhibits here. And this is not to, to play, pass judgment on them, and in some sense, both of them are, are true, but it shows you two extremes here uh, on how, you, how Christians have approached Star Wars. One of them is called The Force of Star Wars, mm-hmm. and basically, this author, uh, Frank Allnut, goes through the narrative and the characters and draws specific parallels to uh, Christianity and to, in fact, eschatology, end times things, and ends up basically sharing the gospel with it, trying to lead people to Christ. Now, does he have a particular eschatology while he does this? I mean, is there a... It's ours. It's, it's a DTS he, eschatology. He, he's premillennial. Premill, pre-trib. Pre-trib. Oh, yeah. But oh, then he really? says, you know, you need to be ready and be on the light side. Oh, you know? wow. So it's, a, it's almost a thick gospel tract. Okay. Uh, and the other extreme, so this one is a very positive use of Star Wars for evangelism. Uh-huh. The opposite approach, and very common, um, is uh, Norm Geisler uh, co-authored this, but a religion of the force, which does legitimately point out there are a lot of uh, Eastern mysticism, Zen Buddhism parallels as well mm-hmm. in some of the spirituality of Star Wars, and basically says this is this is uh, this is not the gospel. This is uh, some dangerous spirituality as well that could lead people astray, and so these represent in my mind two. I guess ends of the, spectrum of the spectrum of how you can yeah. engage in pop culture. Mm-hmm. You know, you condemn it and point out its dangers, or you can kind of embrace it and, and share the gospel. And I, of course, try to find the, a mediating <laughs> position. Uh-huh. I, th- I do think that there are uh, positive uses of media, uh, pop, um, pop culture, movies, uh, where we can have these points of contact that may not exist otherwise. Interesting. It seems to me that someone who is designing and writing this, who has a feel for culture at large, might keep these themes rather ambiguous so that people can go in a variety of ways. Do you think Yeah, that's I think sensible? that's true, and that was George Lucas. George Lucas, who created and wrote these Star Wars movies, he really, besides basic morality, good and evil, and and restoring this idea of look there there is um, more to life than just self. He was writing in the '70s and the in decadence as well as uh, um, despondence in many ways and trying to speak into that culture. Um, Nothing changed exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if anything got worse, yeah. but but he. Um, he didn't have any particular spiritual theological agenda, mm-hmm. and so really you do see blatant borrowing from Christian imagery and themes as well as borrowing from anything that he could weave together to tell a story. You know, this raises an interesting question, this kind of a subterranean question, and that is, you know, when you look at literature as a whole, and, and there are there are a lot of cosmic themes, some of which are mm-hmm. very Christian in their origin, some of which are are not necessarily Christian, but generally archetypal to go right. to the general category. And uh, most literary people are very aware of those kinds of themes. Most uh, very good English literature programs and university mm-hmm. campuses and that kind of thing um, major in in making people who take English literature familiar with this kind of background, right. especially uh, 
you know, even if they've never darkened the door of a church, because it's so pervasive, particularly in Western literature. So it, it shouldn't be surprising that some of these themes come up in this Correct. kind of a way. Yeah, and they they all always will come up. The the whole idea of the redeemer who mm-hmm. sacrifices himself mm-hmm. for others. It's it's almost essential in every mm-hmm. story to some degree. It may right. not be a physical sacrifice, but somebody has to give give himself or herself up for something. It's almost always the case. There's always the 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 story of the hero who is uh, going from the known to the unknown and coming back again and learning something and growing from that and so it's you see uh, parallels to the Christian biblical narrative you also see parallels to each person's spiritual journey mm-hmm. in faith and so there are all of these themes that that pop up all the time so it's funny you see a lot of people say look uh, this movie The Matrix or whatever is is the gospel, and you have books, series of books written, the gospel according to X, Y, Z. And it's not that these authors are intentionally drawing on Christian themes, it's just that they're tapping into these universal truths. And and those truths, because in some cases they have connections to Christian themes lend themselves Correct. in this kind of direction. Yep. So, um, you know, we're, we're obviously having fun with all of this. Um, uh, so. Someone comes along and and says, "All right, so what should I think about when I watch Star Wars, and and what are some of the bridges that come out of popular culture and move in this direction?" Yeah, that's good. Uh, first of all, there's the obvious theme of good versus evil, mm-hmm. and then there are always in good storytelling characters that are not so black and white, at least on the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of social political commentary going on sometimes in these films that is a little subtle. Uh, but we can we can use these things to um, bring up very real-world matters of good and evil. I mean, we are fast approaching a, <laughs> a cultural situation where those – everything is gray mm-hmm. um, and, or black and white and good and evil is really a matter of perspective. Um, and these themes, I think a, a, a classic epic good versus evil story can can remind us that no look we resonate with this story because deep down inside god has written uh on our hearts this conscience and we have this sense of right and wrong and this taps into that we can relate to that so at a very um you know level of good versus evil i think that that theme is something that we can we can take from this but also this uh this approach to um the struggle, the conflict that we feel. There's a spiritual conflict. There's spiritual growth going on in these characters. In every great epic story, there's growth and co- through conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, we can tap into those things. There are also very obvious uh, illustrations of redemption. Mm-hmm. Redemption is in almost every story. It's a universal theme. Uh, and we can draw direct parallels, very easy usually, the theme of redemption to the cross and to the resurrection and to restoration. And so um, themes of hope, themes of commitment, themes of love, themes of self-sacrifice, themes of self-control and reward. So uh, at the level of themes and storytelling in that, in that regard, the, these are very, very rich wells of resources. So, um, so how should we pursue this? Should we pursue this kind of by character or by conflict? What, uh, what do you, what, what's the best? I mean, I could think about. I mean, 
Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Princess yeah. Leia. I mean, there'd be lots of ways to think about this. Uh, yeah, generally the way storytellers think about it is think they think about it in terms of a journey or even mm-hmm. a cycle or mm-hmm. a circle. And so you and interestingly these cycles tend to match the biblical story. You start out, you know, in in paradise mm-hmm. and through some kind of a fall you're in um, hell or damnation or or some kind of a, a fallen state, and then the conflict and the struggle through redemption to restore it to paradise. It's and every story begins somewhere on that circle, hmm. and so you usually have a, you know, the, in Star Wars they're beginning in this this state of oppression and darkness and this fall. You don't know how you got there, mm-hmm. but they're in the process of restoration, restoring through Obi Wan Kenobi. Exa- Obi Wan is coming back. Hope. Exactly, hope, yeah, right? Yeah, right. And so, and what does Obi Wan Kenobi do? Yeah, he sacrifices himself mm-hmm. uh, in order to to save the the hero, and and that is an uh, apocalyptic pivotal moment for for Luke Skywalker, and so we can see these things in in all kinds of great narratives rocky mm-hmm. you know he's starting out in in the inner city mm-hmm. of philadelphia he meets the wise old right trainer right right who and what does he do he comes out uh you know wearing the uh whatever what Whatever, having <laughs> whatever the whatever well, you got to get. Uh, I was going to say like, he comes hey, out as a winner, but everybody knows Superman. in the first one he doesn't actually win the fight. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but you get you get the picture. It's right. a, it's the same cycle, and so we think in terms of plot line and themes, um, but also you can find parallels with individual characters and some of the struggles and conflicts. It's a fun conversation to have, especially with doubters and unbelievers. Yeah, because because you can you can raise all kinds of themes. That of course part of the. I actually think one of the attractive elements of science fiction is it it makes you think about life, but it makes you think about life in a completely different lens. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the 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 world that's being portrayed is imaginative; it's different, um, but the human conflicts that you're running into right. are very, very very similar, real. and you can connect to. They are the stories in the universes are. Very, very strange, but eerily familiar. Mm-hmm. And you can, and and people are more than willing to talk about a movie. Mm-hmm. In fact, they want to. A mm-hmm. lot of people want to talk this out afterwards. Right. Right. Um, and uh, you know, we as Christians who who have a a a story that is genuinely redemptive doesn't make you feel good. Uh, merely feel good. It it can actually change your life. This episode is brought to you by the Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com.
the scene that pops into my mind are the bar scenes where you've got all these strange creatures, <laughs> and yet it's eerily similar to something you might see in a Western. Correct. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, the characters that you get are packaged certainly differently, but the emotions that they're displaying, you know, you you could have seen, uh, you know, in the 1800s in the Far West. That's right. Yeah. We're going to broaden this out a little bit um, and <clears throat> go to some movies that I've seen recently, but that uh, Michael hasn't. But we're going to comment on some of the themes because I think it'll show the the consistency, mm-hmm. if you will, of, of the way in which stories oftentimes get told and the way in which they can work and sometimes um, help us understand what's going on and what the draw might be. And, and so the first movie I want to talk about is um, Hacksaw Ridge, which is um, a Mel Gibson-directed movie that's um, slated for uh, the latter part of, of this year, 2016. And uh, it's a true story. Uh, it's of a fellow named uh, Desmond Doss, who's a Seventh-day Adventist, who didn't believe in uh, killing not just didn't believe in killing, he didn't believe you should pick up a weapon hmm. and and fight. And the interesting thing about the story is is that he ends up uh, being enlisted in the Army during World War II and sent to the Pacific, um, to the Pacific, um, what do you call them, um, uh, not coast, but uh, Pacific, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, I'm having a blank. Uh, the Pacific region or the theater, that's the word I'm thinking of, being sent to the Pacific theater to to fight. But he's trained in such a way that the day they hand out the weapons, there's a scene where they're handing out all the weapons and everyone walks up and grabs theirs, and he stays in line and doesn't go Mm -hmm. pick up a rifle. He's in the Army. Yeah. So, you know, kind of awkward. Of, uh, yeah, awkward, yeah. mega awkward. You kind of notice that. Exactly right. Everyone's <laughs> got a weapon, he doesn't. And the sergeant comes up to him and says, you know, something wrong here? You know, something. He, he goes, yeah, I don't, I, I don't believe in fighting. And I, he said, I wrote the army about this, saying I was a conscientious objector, and this is, they said it would be okay. And it was, <laughs> no one at the post knew about this. And so it wasn't quite so okay. So the first part of the movie is about how um, he um, <laughs> they try and drum him out. Basically, they do everything. They beat him up. They they try and shame him every way possible to. This is I guess this is a spoiler alert mm-hmm. um, <laughs> to try and uh, get him to to quit, and he won't quit. Mm-hmm. He wants to sign up to be a medic, so he says, "I'm signing save up for lives. something." Yeah, yeah, I want to save mm-hmm. lives. I don't want to kill them. You've got the, you've got how the plot is yeah. developing yeah. very nicely, and so he ends up going to war. He makes it through. Um, he goes to war as a medic, and they go to battle, and he's not carrying a weapon. How do you do mm-hmm. that? Right. And and then. In the end of the story, I won't try and spoil it too much, but he ends up being a hero in the way he handles the combat situation mm. without ever picking up a weapon. Mm. And so the whole thing is kind of this – let's put it this way. It's not your mother's war yeah. movie this, or your This isn't a Rambo movie. sequel, No, that's right. right. You, sa- you said how some stories play with normal – what we call tropes, yeah. normal Correct, pictures yeah. or metaphors, and and play with them. Well, this mm-hmm. one is playing with it 
yep. uh, big time because you're the whole plot is wrapped up in how does someone join the army and never pick yeah. up a rifle? Yeah, and it's going to be fun. I'm I'm going to look forward to seeing this because uh, you know in every story every character has a weapon. Mm-hmm. It's not always a physical weapon mm-hmm. like a sword or a lightsaber or a gun, but there's something that the character wields. Mm-hmm. That gives the character the strength. In this case, it's his it's his moral conviction. It's his moral fortitude. That's right. right. And that's yeah. the and and it's always challenged. They have to learn how to wield it. They have to wield it imperfectly in various circumstances. So so that's the you know as as a storyteller, you're, you're always thinking, what is this character's weapon? How does he come by it? And what strength? Uh, what character mm-hmm. conviction and strength is it actually going to illustrate? Because everything in story is metaphor. If it's mm-hmm. not metaphor, you're not really telling mm-hmm. a story. You're mm-hmm. just, you know, you're taking pictures. So, um, so it'll be f- interesting to see how that works. So that's in, in a very important point that uh, a character's weapon or symbol of strength is not always going to be. Uh, An actual a physical literal weapon. physical weapon. Yeah. So yeah, and and you know Mel Gibson uh, has been really whatever you think of him personally, he's been really good at picking and producing, directing stories that tap in intentionally into these moral issues, moral conflicts, and spiritual truths. It's it's going to be fun. Yeah. Another interesting feature of this movie, and we actually do hope to do a podcast on this in the future, mm-hmm. is the way in which the violence and realism gets depicted against the backdrop of Christian standards. Yeah. So how do you how do you tell the story? Tell a real story. Tell a real gruesome war story. Mm-hmm. And handle the violence, handle the language that comes with with the event, yeah. those kinds of things. The choices that a story uh, teller, a writer, has to to make. In this case, you've got a little bit of help because you're. This is not made up. This is right. something that really happened. So they're depicting something that's real. But uh, we also know that there are certain liberties that they took with that sure. to package the story, that kind of thing. There are those kinds of choices going on, which people who watch movies about real events oftentimes struggle with. Yeah, They don't give the artist the license to uh, move around in terms of what they do. Yeah, and this is especially difficult uh, uh, for Christian writers, Christian filmmakers, because on the one hand, um, you don't want gratuitous uh, celebration of violence. It's mm-hmm. not our that's not our value. This isn't our worldview. On the other hand, you don't want to portray a world that doesn't exist. Uh, yeah, there's a real right? world there's a real out there world that's fallen. And one thing about the Bible, in fact, I've had I've had Muslim encounters with Muslim friends that that complain about some of the the realistic violence and things that are in our Bibles. You know, mm-hmm. the 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 pictures of depravity and people's sin in the Bible, and that how can that be a holy book with all of this right rape and incest and murder and and these kinds of things? And we say, look, it's telling. The way it really is. This is That's real right. life, right? And so we're not we're not uh, sugarcoating life. We're not creating uh, fairy tales here. And so there is this balance of um, you know, for me, and and this is one of those gray issues where Christians are going to need to think through this. For me, um, if it's gratuitous and unnecessary to the storytelling, it, it really annoys me. Mm-hmm. I'll, wa- I'll walk out of something like that. But if it is important to the story, I would imagine that for that film that. It's going to be an important point of his context and contrast that's challenging his 
uh, his conviction and, and putting his putting him at him, risk, his, putting points. him, yeah, yes. putting him to the test. And, 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 and you the need to feel like the with. threat is real, right? That's right. And so, especially that kind of a, a war film, uh, you can get by with it without being too graphic, but mm-hmm. you still, I think, need in order to tell the story rightly, need to have some realism. Yeah, and I, and I think that the issue for that film is how much is enough. Yeah, uh, how long should it go for? That those it kinds becomes of gratuitous, and that, that that's almost an art. Right, then. you have to kind of know as a storyteller how much is too much. Well, that that's movie number one. Let's shift to another one, completely different era. Okay, we, from World War II, we go to the <laughs> Roman Empire. And the re uh, the refilming of Ben Hur, mm-hmm. uh, you know, tied to Mark Burnett and Rona Downey, and we Roma Downey. And we mm-hmm. saw uh, this one over the weekend uh, in part because uh, I've I've done uh, consultation work with them in relationship to the earlier Bible series and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And um, this one struck me as odd, and I'll be interested to get your reaction to this. We went in, and of course we were thinking, well, this is a retelling of a classic, so you're already up against it. I mean, this is one of the Oh, yeah. You great have a sta- something to live up to, Yeah, exactly. it's you're, really you're, easy to fail. You're yeah. one of the great movies of all time. I mean, you can put a list of the top ten, and yeah. the original Ben-Hur is probably on it. And so you've got that up against – and then something hit me that I, that I hadn't anticipated. Of course, it's a remake, which means that it's not in you know 1950s Technicolor. Right. Okay, it's in a super 4K. I don't know right. how else to yeah, talk yeah. about it. I mean, it, it the cinematography was so stunning and precise that it was like I'm not seeing an ancient story. Right. And I went, where'd that come from? Yeah. You know the the expectations about what a film talking about a a, a dark and dusty pastime, right? Not looking very dark and dusty, or That's or right. or looking too dark and too dusty. You can take your pick. It's tricky, and this is the 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 responsibility of the production designer, the producer has to figure out what tones, what color schemes. I mean, these are conversations they spend hours and hours and weeks and weeks on before they even film one frame of the thing. So mm-hmm. um, color scheme, what's your palette? You mm-hmm. know, th- it's art. Mm-hmm. This is not just telling a story. You know, as a if you're just writing a novel, you don't have to worry about color schemes mm-hmm. per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you're putting that on screen, and so you'll um, one film, it's an uh, it's a an apocalyptic sci-fi kind of film um, called The Road, and it's all it's almost black and white. It's not, but it's almost black and white, and that is intended to communicate this feeling of despair, of hopelessness. Mm. And then you add splashes of color into that kind of thing, and those really stand out in contrast. So what you're experiencing is. Um, obviously an intentional decision by production designers to do things, film things at a certain pace with certain colors, maybe not the best choice. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, especially with an original Ben-Hur that they're going to be uh, contrasting, to. comparing it yeah. to. So what was your what was your emotional response to those? Uh, it, it, I mean, it was a good story. It was a core story. I mean, you knew where the story yeah. was going in many ways. So there didn't have it didn't have quite the drama of how this was going to work out that uh, – that you might normally feel a story that you weren't quite so right. familiar with, that kind of thing. So I, I, I consider it to be a rather average movie, for mm-hmm. lack of a better description. Uh, entertaining. I mean, worth, worth in one sense, worth the time if you're just going out to the movie to, to be entertained. But it wasn't, it wasn't the experience 
um, that either uh, Hacksaw Ridge had been because of the way it confronts you mm-hmm. with war and choices, or another movie we'll be talking about shortly that I'm going to raise. But I do have uh, one more thing I want to say about about the Ben Hur movie that's interesting. You know, you talked about palettes and tones, and when I've done this consulting work for for movies. Um, the thing that strikes me are the kinds of questions I get asked. Hmm. You know, when I do my New Testament stuff, I'm being asked about theology and, you know, uh, what did people believe, that kind yeah. of thing. What movie write, script writers will write me about is what did the crucifixion look like? Yeah. What shape was the cross? Yeah. What was the background? How did it go into the ground? Yeah. You know, really, uh, for lack of a better description, earthy kinds of yeah. questions. I mean, Every day, you know, uh, when they sat down to a meal, what did that look? I, I often tell people, you know, our picture of the Lord's Supper, kind of the Leonardo da Vinci guys at the table picture, yeah. is is actually not how it happened in the right. first century. You know, they tended to sit in a U. If it was a very formal meal, they might not. There might not even be a table. There might not even mm-hmm. be chairs. They're actually reclining. Uh, on the ground at an angle off of one elbow, a completely different picture than what we think of as yeah. a meal. And a cinematographer and a director and a screenwriter have to be aware of all that. Mm-hmm. And, so, and then make a decision about whether it's worth trying to trying know, to shock recreate the it. Exactly yeah, right. right. And where they go, Defy this seems so for- yeah. foreign. Um, does this re- will this really work, mm-hmm. or do we, you know, modernize it? Which, yeah. interestingly, another artistic choice, completely different genre. You've watched operas update mm-hmm. themselves, yes, yeah, right, by really recasting the scene, not in the original time in which yeah. it's written or setting, but modernize them, tell the same story with the same lyrics, but completely different clothes and background to give it a more modern feel. Which goes back to our original discussion that look, there are these themes that. Whether you put them in World War One or the Jewish Revolt, it's there are going to be these universal themes that can kind of come out in any context. Exactly. So it produces a very fascinating kind of set of cho- you know. It, it always amazes me. Well, two things amaze me. I, I'm in the habit. My wife has gotten used to this. Um, at the end of a movie, I will sit and I will watch the credits. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a way I remind myself of look at all the people yeah. it took. To make this happen, it's kind of my way of saying I appreciate the effort of all these people yeah. who who went to put this together, and you know, it's myriads of people. I mean, it right. isn't just yeah. the actors, and especially in in high uh, stunt, high um, special effects, exactly. those kinds of things. I mean, there's technological effects. stuff going yeah. on. There's very physical stuff going on in certain movies, and so so it's my way of uh, 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 reminding uh, what it takes to put something like this. Uh, together, it, it's also another way of uh, underscoring another thing that we like to talk about at the center, and that is uh, the value of the variety of vocations that people undertake. Mm-hmm. You know that there, that there's a way in which they contribute and serve us that sometimes we think consciously about it and appreciate, and sometimes we don't. Yeah. So this is kind of the way um, I appreciate those things. And so, you know, the decisions that they face and have to make, both just art and technically are sometimes very, very amazing. The creativity that goes, here I've got a story, but I don't have any colors. I don't have any any clothes that are predisposed Mm -hmm. that I'm predisposed towards. I might have a time period, but that's all I've got to work with, the story and the time period. And look at all the detail that has to be fleshed out on the screen. Yeah. 
It's an amazing thing to think about. Well, let's go to the third movie. We're jumping around. Okay, we've gone from Star Wars to a war film, Hacksaw Ridge. We've gone to Ben-Hur, which takes us back into the time of, uh, of the first century uh, in, in, in a kind of depiction in the context of the crucifixion and that kind of thing. The last movie that's come out recently that's kind of – has a completely different feel to it is Peach Dragon. Mm-hmm. Now, this is, this is yet another genre, okay? This is, a, this is really a kid's movie. Um, it's designed to celebrate, uh, in many ways, the imagination. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what these uh, producer and director did with this story was rather than tell it as an animation, which is the way it's traditionally been told, they used real actors, real mm-hmm. settings, and they devised a, I guess, a mechanical uh, reproduction of who, of Pete Dragon and 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 a techno not just mechanical but technological. Yeah. I mean, it flies CGI and et cetera. And yeah, yeah. yeah. It uses all the technology to get this mixture, and so it has a very real feel to it. And of course, part of the story is is that some people can't believe that this kid has hung out with Peach Dragon, <laughs> um, and and plays with you that way. And it works very hard on some core. Emotional stereotypes: mm-hmm. a kid who has who he's lost a mother and father in a in a car wreck, yeah. who ends up uh, being uh, nurtured by this dragon, and then gets discovered and has to re-enter the real world. But he doesn't want to leave the relationship that he's had. Um, yeah. So, so, the, so that, this 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 plot is starting out on that on that cycle. It's starting out with this kid in. In perdition, in some sense, exactly He's, right. He has to. It's interesting. Usually, uh, it's it's a Luke Skywalker story. He's starting mm-hmm. on this desert planet, planet far away from everything, and and is being introduced into this bigger world and here's and in one sense he's rescued immediately yeah you yeah. know this this dragon comes along and cares exactly. for him it's a healthy relationship there's no real tension right. in what's going on between them in fact the early part of the movie is showing the bonding of their relationship and how comfortable they feel with one another that kind of thing and the tension in- introduced until people come back people into come, the story yeah, right right you know and try and and pull this child out of this this relationship that he has with the dragon and everyone coping. I mean, the bad guys are the the bad guys are the good, are the good guys. guys. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so we again we're back to the archetype archetype mm-hmm. that gets played with. Exactly. And yep. you see the same kinds of themes in movies like E. T. Mm-hmm. Right. And the 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 guys, the scientists, the people that I mean, that's probably the role we'd take. Mm-hmm. There's an alien. Oh my gosh, there's an alien in your closet. Yeah, get yeah. run. Right, right, right. But actually, or try no, and he's my friend. Or get rid we of him. We have this relationship, yeah, you know. Exactly. The, and so there's this. That's a. It's a common theme. Yeah. Know? And so we watch this play itself out, and the variety of relationships, the way in which he ends up in the movie bonding to the to at least a couple of people who try and rescue him on the one hand, but he doesn't want to lose this relationship that he has right. this dragon. But no one else is going to tolerate his having this relationship. Yeah. And that's the tension in the mm-hmm. story, and you watch that get resolved and play itself out. And so it's a completely – you know, we've picked here four different films in yeah. some ways that um, do very different things, and yet – are at the core, doing the same thing. similar yeah, kinds very, of things in terms similar. of the yep. tension and choices that people have that draw them into the movie. So um, I, I've shared some of the movies I've seen recently. Are there, are there any you've seen recently that uh, that draw your attention in this kind of a direction? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm constantly watching uh, 
films, TV shows, things like this, to try to keep up mm-hmm. to the degree that I can uh, in various genres. Um, you know, obviously, Star Wars has been on my mind lately. Uh, I saw, you know, what what some of the filmmakers are doing with the Star Trek series. That's mm-hmm. a whole nother. Yeah. You know. Now, I've been told that you can't be a Star Wars fan and a Star Trek fan, but I've had no problem with that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I've been able to pull that off. Uh-huh. Um, so, Star Trek, uh, uh, I can't think. I, I, on long flights, I'll watch several different different films, catch up. I know Some how Some of the works. superhero movies, you know, right. which, by the way, superhero movies are also technically categorized as science fiction. Right. If you think about those uh, stories, again, there's very usually some kind of a uh, science element going on there. Or, I mean, Superman is an alien, folks. <laughs> <laughs> He's come to Earth to save us. But um, So I've been watching some of those things, but uh, yeah. Well, let me ask you this question, because someone could be listening to this and going, now, wait a minute, we've got two theologians sitting at the table talking about all this stuff that doesn't mean anything, you know, or or, or seemingly might be viewed as a waste of time, a waste of time or a waste yep. of energy or mm-hmm. whatever, but but there actually is a rhyme or reason to this. Mm-hmm. What, is the, what is the rhyme or reason to it? Yeah, so like I said just a second ago, I said I'm, I'm trying to keep up. There is a sense in which... Um, I feel a responsibility. I'm not going to place this burden on others, but I do feel a responsibility to know what is going on in popular culture. What mm-hmm. is what are people being bombarded with? Mm-hmm. What are they being exposed to? What are they thinking about, even if they don't know it? Mm-hmm. Um, and you would have you would not be able to convince me that they're not thinking about Star Wars because they're being constantly bombarded by this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so things like this, um, and it does give me an opportunity then to uh, um, to bring things up. So I actually use it in my teaching, you know, for illus- illustrative you really purposes. really are strange. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, so, you know, yeah. illustrations, sure. preaching illustrations, Absolutely. very practical things like Core this. Core metaphors. Core metaphors that yeah. every culture – the Bible does it. Right, You know, right. everyday experiences become the basis of parables. Mm-hmm. Everyday experiences in our, in our Western culture become the basis for sermon illustrations things to try to drive home a point. So I use it constantly that way. But I need to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. I need to know how to communicate with my kids mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, even if I tell them no on everything, they're still going to be exposed to this. It's, mm-hmm. We're swimming in it. Mm-hmm. And so we need to know what's going on. We can't afford to be completely ignorant of what's going on and in culture. And it does produce some pretty interesting potential opportunities to have mm-hmm. some conversations that uh, at least initially are non-threatening. and. And, and raise issues and themes that people do think about. I mean, a really good piece of film, a really good piece of art does make you think about life core issues. Yeah. And it, Go ahead. It, well, it, to go way back, uh, the Da Vinci Code. You mm-hmm. know a little bit about that? Yeah, you right. remember this yeah, one? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I had a friend who, when that thing came out, read the book want, and asked me about what is going on here. Yeah. And I hadn't heard of it, really. So right. I had to pick it up, read it, and of course, this, I happen to be a <laughs> early Christian history. Yeah, yeah, I'm on that. Yeah. But I was able to share him with him some other things, and he actually, through that wrestling, came to Christ through yeah. through uh, the Da Vinci Code, right? The questions and issues that came up with that. And uh, the way may be more circuitous and less direct through something like Star Wars or Pete's Dragon. I have. I but have. you open those possibilities up for discussions, and if you know what you're doing, you can lead them there. I have a I have a close friend. In fact, he's been a guest on the podcast from Turkey, uh, a Muslim background believer whose first step into faith was watching the original Ben Hur. 
Wow. Uh, he saw wow. the crucifixion, and he said, that's not what we were told as Muslims, exactly. and he got curious about it and yep. pursued it, and that's how he came to faith. Well, Michael, believe it or not, we're out of time. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I appreciate your stopping in to give us kind of this journey through the movies, uh, Star Wars et al., and uh, it's been a fascinating conversation. We hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, we appreciate your listening to us on the table and hope you're back again with us soon. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys, you know? A pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just These Guys, you know?